If we haven't met yet, my name's Mark Mullery. I get to serve as one of the elders and uh, one of the staff pastors here. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to bring the sermon for us this morning. If you're here for the first time or you're watching online, thanks for joining us. We are beginning a new series this morning. We're starting an eight-part series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so that'll be June and July. And then August, we're going to have a short series in Psalm 119. So we're kind of in the middle of this, what's called the wisdom literature in the middle of, of the Old Testament. And I'm really excited about this Ecclesiastes series. I'm going to explain to you um, what the book is about in a moment. Um, but I do want to just give you a little advertisement for next week. Um, Vince Hinders, who's one of the pastors here, uh, has a um, unique relationship with the book of Ecclesiastes, and it was instrumental in, in God's hands in, in, in being used to, to bring him to faith in Christ. And uh, he's going to be able to bring the sermon for us next week, and, uh, and, and I trust we'll get to hear some of that story as well. So that's, that's what's coming next week. Today is sort of an introduction to the series and to the book. We're going to be in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. If you don't know where Ecclesiastes is, you can look in the table of contents. You can go to the book of Psalms, kind of in the middle of your Old Testament, and take a right, and it's shortly uh, after, after there, after Proverbs. And Mary, Mary Collier is going to read the passage for us this morning. Thanks, Mary. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given me to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Thank you, Mary. Let's pray. Oh God, these words that we've just heard, they're not empty words. 
These words have been breathed out by you to us and for us. They are profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. And I pray now that these words would do their work in our minds and hearts. I pray these words would deliver us from the illusion of trying to find meaning and significance in life apart from you. I pray that you would deliver us from that way of thinking and living and bring us wholeheartedly into finding life in Christ, I pray. Amen. So when I'm watching TV, I usually change the channel during commercials, but for some reason recently I didn't. I don't remember exactly why. But there were these two ads very close together that caught my attention. They were both for cars. The Jeep ad said this. The, the, the text was, if you really want to find out what you're made of, you can forget the personality tests and the social media quizzes because the only way you're ever going to know is by heading out into the big, wild, raging, beautiful world in a Jeep and finding out for yourself. So here's the key. Here's the kicker. Here's what they said. Were you born to follow a path or were you born free? Were you born to follow a path or were you born free? I wonder how you might answer that question. Here's the, the next ad that came up a little later was uh, an Audi ad. For me, one of the best things about life is that we keep moving forward. We discover exciting new technologies and here's the part I want you to hear. We redefine who we are. Ponder that. We redefine who we are and how we want to lead our lives Basically, we choose what our future, what we want our future to look like. So what's yours going to be? Now, <laughs> out of your Jeep. There you go. All right. Choose your future. Define yourself. Now, I know that car ads aren't exactly the pinnacle of careful philosophical thought. But I also know car companies spend a lot of money to come up with ads like that because they intend to persuade people like you and me to buy their cars. So what's the pitch? Did you catch it? Hear it again. Were you born to follow a path or were you born free? We redefine who we are, how we want to live our lives, and we choose what we want our future to look like. You see the, the idea here. It's this expressive individualism that we've seen in our Genesis series that's so embedded in our culture. It's the you-do-you you way of thinking. You know, it's actually the same idea. If you were here when we went through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it's the same idea that the serpent test tempted Eve and Adam with. Hey, you can stake out on your own. You don't need God, and you actually have God-like powers to live a good life and to chart your own course to find satisfaction and meaning in life. You can do this if you'll just follow your heart. You redefine your reality. You choose your, what your future is going to be. So what happens if you do that? What does it look like if you actually give that a try? 
Well, I've got good news for you this morning. You don't have to guess. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is here to do for us. The book of Ecclesiastes is a 12-chapter exploration of looking for meaning and satisfaction for the good life anywhere and everywhere this world has to offer. The language of Ecclesiastes is under the sun. Everywhere the sun shines. And the answers of what the writer finds in that exploration, well, it's not very encouraging. Because this book, you have to understand what you have in front of you with Ecclesiastes. This book isn't so much the cure as it is the battery of tests that exposes the disease. And here are the test results. Apart from God, life is meaningless. Apart from God, you cannot find true satisfaction. But, the rest of the Bible will show us, Jesus is the way to that abundant life we all long for. Ecclesiastes is great for people who are new to Christianity because you don't have to know any of the rest of the Bible to make sense of this book. It's transparent and abundantly clear. And I want to encourage you, if you know someone who isn't a Christian, invite them into this service and even into uh, uh, to the, to this series and even to, to hear Vince's testimony next week. But believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must be persuaded of the truths of this book. And though we may acknowledge them, we live with desires in our hearts and a world around us that wants to take us in a different direction. So here are, as we get started, here are four keys to reading Ecclesiastes. It's a little different than reading, say, the Gospel of John or even a book like Genesis. So first key is this, read it like a travelogue and not a murder mystery. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, if you read Agatha Christie or murder mysteries, kind of in that genre, you're strung along with all these questions and suspense about what happened and who did it. And then in the end, you get all the answers and all the, the strings get tied up. Ecclesiastes doesn't work like that. Ecclesiastes is like an explorer with a base camp and he's going out one day exploring here and going out another day exploring there and going out another day exploring all these paths that wisdom will take him. So it's not all going to be wrapped up cleanly at the end. There is a conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. But it, but it, it, it doesn't have all the, the, the neatness of, of a murder mystery. Second, don't just read it. Feel it. It's poetry. It's designed to work on your imagination, your feelings, your mood, your heart, the inner part of you. Third, prepare to be uncomfortable. If you like happy and light, you're in the wrong spot with Ecclesiastes. It can be discouraging. It can be depressing. It's intended to do that to you, to take you to the right place. It also raises some difficult questions that are really hard to answer. But finally, number four, don't forget to circle back to God. That's what the author does at the end of the letter, and that's what we want to continue to do as well. And so we'll, we'll do that as we go through each of these eight messages. So this morning, as we look at verses 1 to 18 of chapter 1, we have sort of an introduction to the, to the book. So let's start. Point one is welcome to Ecclesiastes. And the first three verses are carefully designed to open this book up to us. Chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher the son of David, king in Jerusalem, 
Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So verse 1, here's the author. He identifies himself as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. We'll find as we read that he's got um, wisdom and time and opportunity and interest to pursue all these different possible ways of living. So that can sound a lot like Solomon, David's uh, direct descendant who was king after him. But it might be Solomon, but there's some reasons to think it might not be too. He says, he'll tell us in verse 16, I've acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. Well, that's an odd thing for Solomon to say because there was only one king in Israel before him and that was his father, David. Further, he identifies himself with this word preacher. I've got in the margin of my ESV convener, collector, Hebrew, Kohelet. He repeatedly identifies himself this way, but never as Solomon directly. And so he seems in some ways like Solomon and in other ways not quite like Solomon. And so many commentators have come to the conclusion that it's not completely clear, but maybe one way to see this is this. It's a writer who's sort of writing in Solomon's name and sort of stylizing Solomon and picturing sort of this super Solomon who's on this ultimate quest for satisfaction under the sun and yet who returns empty-handed. And so that's, I'm going to refer to him as, as uh, the preacher or as Kohelet and that, that's how I see that. Verse 2 is sort of the executive summary. You know how you read, you get an article or a report and there's an executive summary at the beginning? That's what verse 2 is. Here, here it is. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Okay, that's what this is about. The Hebrew word there, eber, uh, for vanity literally means breath or vapor. So the idea here is, and we'll see this as we go through the, the next section, Life is so fleeting and temporary, it's vaporous. It's just here and gone. And so in light of how brief and fleeting life is, it's ultimately meaningless or vain if this life is all there is. He gives us his conclusion, not only here at the beginning in verse 2, but at the end in chapter 12 and verse 8. And then in verse 3, he gives us the big question. This is a question you want to have in front of you as you go through your life. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? You might just pause and ponder. What, what was your toil this week? Where were you laboring? What were you working in? Whether it's a job for pay or relationship or wh whatever it, it might be. And this is sort of a rhetorical question, isn't it? The answer is obvious. The answer is, well, if you labor and toil under the sun... What do you gain? Nothing. It's empty. And this phrase here, under the sun, is a vital phrase. To live under the sun is to live in this world as though this is all there is. To live without reference to God. To live life and, and find meaning apart from God. We saw, as we were looking in the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 3, that after Adam and Eve rebelled against God and rejected his authority and his word in their lives, they were sent out of paradise east of Eden to a, what would become, a, a, instead of a paradise, a wilderness full of toil, thistles and thorns and pain and, 
difficulty. And so that's the life, that's the place where this is taking place. It's life under the sun. It's a poetic way of saying living life without reference or regard for God. It's people who live as though all that matters is just what's here. Wealth, pleasure, work, success, wisdom, everything you can find anywhere the sun shines, that's what people are living for. You don't have to be an atheist to live this way. Just someone who's living life on your own terms. And Koheleth, the preacher, he's not keeping us in suspense about how this all works out. He's giving us the answer at the start. He's saying living that kind of life Living life that way, it does not satisfy. It's like trying to grasp wind. It's futile. And this is helpful, not just because of what goes on in every human heart, but because of the city that we live in, where in this city, what matters most to so many people is success. Your title, your salary. There's always this kind of ranking that can go on when you're interacting with people, isn't there? What's your GS level? What, I, I love this one. What school did you go to? I love this because for all you UVA and William and Mary and Tech and Georgetown people, I went to Humboldt State University and I love just being able to roll that one out to people. Yeah. Humboldt State. Awesome. That moves me up the rankings fast. What sports team did your kid get selected to? That, the, the, the ranking thing just goes on and on in our city. Jesus confronts this way of thinking when he says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So now let's dig deeper into this question. What do you gain? What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? In other words, what makes life worth living? What makes life meaningful? Onto verses 4 to 11. We're going to call this section the treadmill. I want to recommend Derek Kidner's commentary to you, which is in the bookstore. There's also a wonderful book by Phil Riken about the, how to find the gospel in Ecclesiastes. Those are both in the bookstore. But Derek Kidner uh, entitles this section the treadmill, and I can't improve on that. So we're going to call it that too. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to just read this for you again. Mary read it wonderfully. I'm going to just do it a second time. And I want to encourage you, maybe don't follow along with your eyes. Just listen. Feel the effect of the poetry here. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around the wind goes, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and a man cannot utter it. The eyes not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to, me, to be among those who come after. What's the mood here? How does this make you feel? What is Koheleth 
trying to get us to see in our imaginations. The sun rising and going down and circling to come back again. The wind blowing, that's jet stream starting in the west and going to the east across our country, across North America, and then circling back and coming around again. Streams running into the sea. They never stop running. The Potomac keeps flowing into the Chesapeake. The Chesapeake keeps flowing into the Atlantic, but they never fill up. They just keep going and going. And people are like that too. Generations come, generations go, but the earth is still here. And you're like that too. You look and you listen and you do the same tomorrow. Your ear is never filled up. Your eye is never satisfied. There's always more to do. And you know what? You probably don't know much about your great-grandparents. And people aren't going to know much about you 100 years from now either. Do you get the idea? There's this constant motion, but no progress. Nothing really changes. There's this mood of weariness and repetition and endless cycles. And you, you know where you show up in this? You're a puff of smoke. You know that little wispy steam that comes out of a cup of coffee or a cup of hot chocolate? That's you in the grand scheme of generation after generation and all that's happening on the earth. The preacher says, vanity of vanities, emptiness. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? If your toil is under the sun, you gain nothing. Kind of depressing. What's this doing in our Bibles? Why are we talking about this in church? Isn't this supposed to be a happy place? Ecclesiastes is the wrecking ball to the hope of finding meaning under the sun. We need this work. Adam and Eve chose to live life on their own terms. They rejected God's authority and instead they listened to a lying serpent and they looked for wisdom, for the good life, from a tree instead of from God. They decided to look for life from creation rather than from God. They looked for life under the sun instead of from the creator. Would we ever do that? You ever look for life from the creation instead of the creator? You ever think, if I could just have blank, everything would be okay? I have thoughts like that. What fills in that blank when you have those thoughts? If I could just be married. If I could just have more people like me. If I could just have a bigger retirement account. If I could just have kids who don't embarrass me in the grocery store. If I could just, what is it? Consider this. Think about this. If what makes life worth living can be lost, where does that leave you? Because under the sun, everything can be lost. Everything. Ecclesiastes is a lab for living life on your own terms instead of God's. And we need this lab. 
We need to be reminded of the treadmill of life apart from God so that we can be delivered from that to life with God in Christ. And so the preacher begins his quest. He gives us sort of this overview flavor of life under the sun. And then he tells us a little bit more about himself and his pursuit of wisdom. So the third thing I'm going to highlight this morning is this pursuit of wisdom. Pick it up in verse 12 with me, please. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Hear that. I sought out all that's done under heaven. And he says, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, I want you to hear what he says in verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. I've seen it all. And behold, you know what that means? Behold means look. I've seen it all and look. All is vanity and a striving after wind. Now, the preacher fills us in on kind of what his method is for his quest, this base camp of, of, of wisdom as he's going to search out and seek out all that happens, all that's done under the sun. And he's got things going for him that you don't have going for you, right? He's a king. So he's, he's a monarch. I know that people are celebrating Queen Elizabeth's 70 years on the throne. We don't have many monarchs in our world today. And Queen Elizabeth doesn't function like ancient monarchs. Monarchs like Solomon-type kings, David-type kings, they had complete authority. They could do whatever they wanted. Their word was law. And not only does this super Solomon have all the authority of a king, he's got unlimited time and money. Again, think about this. What if you could do anything you wanted? No restraints. Any desire you had could be fulfilled. Desires for travel. Desires for sex. Desires for more and more money. Desires for building and creating beauty. What if you could do anything and everything and there were no restraints? He's saying, I'm that person. I did that. And let me tell you how it comes out. He's inviting us to come along with him on this journey so that we can learn from his experiences, so that we can feel the weight of the futility of life under the sun without having to go through it all personally. You don't have to make all these mistakes. Learn from his. And let the disappointment of this have its intended effect. Do you know, God's word is intended to function differently upon us in different ways. We need God's word to, to function, not just to cheer us up or not just to give us comfort. Sometimes we need God's word to afflict us in our comforts. God's word, as I prayed in the beginning, 2 Timothy 3.16, sometimes it corrects, sometimes it reproves. He says at the end of the, the book here that the, the sayings of the wise are like goads, 
like nails firmly fixed, and they come from one shepherd. What does that mean? You know what a goad is? It's literally like, it's, it's a device with a nail in it to, to make an animal go in the right direction. And he's saying, his words for us are intended to be like that. Sometimes we say, you goaded me into this argument or into that decision. You, you prompted and, and pushed. Well, this word is intended to have that kind of an effect on us. John Calvin writing in the 16th century, put it this way. He said that we need to be stung by the consciousness of our unhappiness in order to be ready to seek God. We need to be stung by the consciousness of our unhappiness. We, we need to become displeased enough with ourselves to recognize I need rescue outside myself. We need to be displeased enough with life under the sun to recognize that we must find life from the creator of the sun, above the sun. So, so Kohelet is not trying to give you all the answers. He's really trying to destroy your confidence in the wrong answer. I think if he could sit on the couch with us and watch those car ads, I wonder if he wouldn't say something like, Born free, follow your own path, huh? Okay. Choose your future as you please. You know what? I've been there. I've done that. I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Verse 13. Verse 14. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, it's vain. I've seen it all. I've seen it all. Every path, every desire. I've, I've tried fulfilling them. And I tell you where it ends up. Under the sun, it's futile. It's empty. It does not deliver. What makes life worth living? If it can be lost, so can a meaningful life. And so we can't anchor our hope for significance and meaning in wisdom or education or pleasure or success or work or wealth or relationships. If you expect this world to give you meaning and provide you with ultimate satisfaction, you're like a person who needs a new mattress and goes shopping at the gas station to find one. You're going to be disappointed. Because you're asking the gas station to deliver something it cannot deliver. This world cannot, excuse me, cannot deliver meaning and satisfaction in an ultimate sense. There are many pleasures and many joys in this world. And we enjoy them to the glory of God. But it cannot deliver ultimates. You're asking this world to deliver too much if you're asking it to do that. Apart from God, life is empty, meaningless, futile. And this is all preparatory. This is designed to tear down in order to build up. Our author, or one, excuse me, one author I was reading this week suggested, it was great, he said, we should staple this book to the beginning of the New Testament. This should be like the introduction to the New Testament because you read this and now you're ready for the gospel. Now you're ready for the good news 
of Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes on the scene and he decidedly does not say, I'm here to simply redefine who I am and I'm born free to follow whatever path I want. He doesn't live like that, does he? That's quite different from how Jesus comes into the world. Hebrews 10, 7. But when Christ came into the world, he did not say, I'm choosing my own adventure. I'm, I'm defining who I want to be and redefining continually. He says, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And what does Jesus gain from all his toil under the sun? Is it empty and meaningless? No, because he does God's will, he obtains salvation and new life for everyone who calls on his name. That's the good news. That's the good news we're going to circle back to over and over. We're going to hear the depressing, discouraging pathways available under the sun, and then we're going to come back and say, but Jesus paid it all to bring us home. That's why Jesus can say to you, I am the way. Don't get your way from copywriters for TV ads. Don't look for the way under the sun. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why Jesus can say, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, come, take up your cross and follow him. Now in Christ, our work has meaning. Life has purpose. purpose. There are good works that God has prepared in advance that we might walk in them. Now in Christ, we know this world under the sun, this isn't all there is. The best is yet to come. There is real pleasure and real joy and real satisfaction here in relationship with God and in light of eternity, knowing that Christ is risen from the dead, promising that we too will rise from the dead. Hear the encouragement of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, therefore, redeeming grace, church, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, hear this in light of Ecclesiastes, knowing, do you know this? Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Oh, breathe that in and let that have its impact on you. Knowing that in the Lord, your work is not in vain. You know that? Can you feel that? In light of Ecclesiastes, we're not under the sun anymore. Do you know that in the Lord, your work is not in vain?